Hey guys, it's Corey from Redefining Strength. Welcome to the Fitness Hacks Podcast. So in this episode, I want to talk about intentionality with our programming, quality over quantity, behavior modification so you can make changes that actually stick, uh, recipe hacks and swaps to hit your macros because I know it can be challenging, especially starting out, a fast fix for wrist pain during planks and push-ups, and then also play one of my favorite movement variation games to help you really dial in that squat and get more out of that basic movement pattern. I want to talk about intentionality, not only with our training, but with how we design those healthy lifestyle habits. I want to talk about quality over quantity. A lot of times when we want results because we want them yesterday, we go to doing more, more workouts, longer workouts, more restrictions, slashing our calories lower, more, more, more. Okay. And we even think about more different techniques in there, right? I'm going to try keto with intermittent fasting with, you know, this workout design with these fancy moves with these new training tools, right? We're trying to implement all of these different things and we lose focus on the quality of what we're actually doing. And when I was thinking about, you know, quality versus quantity, I stumbled onto this great Bruce Lee quote, which I really, really like. And I want to share with you guys. Okay. So it's, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. And I thought this was a great thing to think about when you're thinking about how you're designing your workout routines and even your nutritional changes. Because so often we go to doing a whole bunch of changes at once instead of focusing on one or two changes and getting really good at them. So if you are feeling overwhelmed by all those new things, great, stop doing all of them, right? Instead, make one change and get really good at that one change. Maybe you're just gonna start by tracking get really comfortable with tracking. Heck, be the master of, you know, whatever food tracker you're using. I always tell clients like with my fitness pal, even think about that first week where you're just tracking your current lifestyle, consider how you can really master the use of this program. Can you enter in recipes that you really like to make all the time? Can you prep your food log by even putting in restaurants you might want to go out to and dishes you might enjoy? How can you get really good at one thing before you build off those other habits? Because the more we can get good at those things, the more they don't require willpower to replicate, the more we develop that discipline. And that actually allows us to create more changes a lot faster because we don't feel like we're doing so many different new things that overwhelm us. We don't do well often with uncertainty, with change. So the fewer changes we can make, the more we can really build. Same thing goes for our workouts. Instead of trying to you know, do all these new moves, get good at one movement. Really focus on those fundamentals so that you can feel what you actually should feel working. With intentionality in your training, you wanna be able to ask yourself, what do I feel working and know right away, right? When we're you know, trying to do burpees or we're trying to run a PR or we're trying to lift our one rep max, we can't be focused on that, which is why we need to be so intentional in all the buildup because that makes sure that our recruitment patterns are actually automatic. So when you're thinking about intentionality with your training, don't just try and get through those sessions, try and get more quality out of every rep you're doing. Instead of adding in more reps, instead of just trying to do more in your workouts and try, instead of trying to cut out rest, Think about really the quality of every single thing you implement. How can you create some sort of level of mastery over the few things you're doing over just trying to do more? This intentionality, this do less to achieve more attitude is going to really help you see the results that you want and build sustainable changes over time. Okay. So as you're looking to make changes, instead of just trying to do more, Try and get really good at a few things and then build off of that foundation. You're gonna see results ultimately snowball a lot faster.
All right, so we're gonna talk about making changes, but not only just doing the things we need to do, but actually making behavioral modifications. So Michelle, talk to us a little bit about what this really is. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of us are guilty of even saying we're going to implement a new behavior and saying it is great, but if you're not willing to actually look at your behaviors that are going to get you to that goal, to that whatever it is you're trying to implement, you're not actually able to make a lasting change that's going to be sustainable. We really have to figure out what it is about our behavior that needs to be tweaked so that we can see those lasting results and make it an automatic thing in our daily routine. And why is it so challenging to make these behavioral changes? A big thing is, is just, I do think humans are creatures of habit and we tend to like to take the easier path. And really, whenever you are looking at a behavior modification, you are disrupting your your daily routine, something that you do automatically without thinking. And while simultaneously disrupting your daily routine, you are trying to incorporate something new and put something new that you don't think about. And so it can become very difficult if you haven't started to make steps to easily incorporate it into your routine already. I know we've had a conversation about this in the past, but it's not only learning new behaviors, it really is a process of unlearning the other behaviors, which means you have to be aware that you're even doing them, like catching yourself in the act a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. We do so many things automatically without even thinking. And so whenever you're doing that unlearning behavior, all of a sudden you're putting the mental effort that you haven't had to do before to really focus on anything. And so that's kind of the big thing there is really what is it that you can do to make that mental effort easier on yourself? So you're not just like, oh yeah, I I said I'm gonna do this and this is on my task list for the day. And you're just trying to like, you have the willpower to mark it off versus actually going and having something set up that's going to remind you to do it that's already part of your routine. So I think that is a big thing that people tend to fail is actually tying it in with something that they're already currently doing. And often too, when we're trying to make these like changes, we're making them in these ideal situations, right? We do a 21 day fix, a 30 day challenge. And so we can sort of out willpower the changes for potentially that amount of time. Not to mention, we usually choose to do those things during more ideal periods. And then we wonder why like the habits haven't implemented, been implemented long-term or like there's not actual changes that occur, right? We just wanted to fall back to what we had done before. And you draft a really interesting number that research actually showed it took a lot longer than just those 21 days to get that to actually be a behavior change. Yeah, so research is saying that it's really about 66 days for it to become an automatic part, something that you're not actually having to think about to do. It's not that they're not willing to put, put forth the effort. It's just that most people think that if they do it for like a month, that they're good, that they, that, that means that they have done it and it's part of the routine. But you really truly haven't hit that behavior modification side if you're really having to still think about it. It's that automatic thing that really is where the core of that behavior modification shows whether you have successfully implemented it or not. 
And it's being able to do it when times aren't as ideal, right? We think, oh, I just don't have the willpower of someone else. I don't have the self-control. And it's no, you just made the change during this perfect time where you could think about it. And so now we have to keep thinking about it, find ways to keep thinking about it, even when times aren't as ideal. A big thing, and I know we've talked about this before, we want to see people do things throughout different seasons of their life because everyone's times change. Parents have kids and their schedules change, which automatically makes their own schedules change. So just doing it for that period is great. Connecting it with a trigger that's going to be part of your routine is needed, but also still it's okay to kind of go back and still kind of have those moments where it's like, okay, I need to look and reassess and adjust because my schedule has changed. My daily routine is changing because of an outside force is causing it to change. So if someone's looking to make a successful behavioral change, what are some tips you would tell them to help them really dial in those habits? First is recognize the obstacles before you're even starting. And this can be weekly, this can be daily. This is just something that I really think that people need to reflect a little bit more on before they say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start eating more protein or I'm gonna start drinking more water or I'm gonna start hitting the gym more. What is it, what is going to keep you from succeeding? What is it that you actually need to work around? So when you don't have that ideal day, when you don't have the most perfect, you know, schedule set up and things get thrown your way. What are you still going to be able to do to find success and get that that habit completed for the day? And it's really just making sure that you are controlling your environment as much as possible. So if you have all these other commitments that are going to get in the way, what can we do that's going to make it easier? A big thing I see is a lot of people are like, hey, I want to eat, eat out less. I want to be able to cook more at home. That's great, but if your schedule has tons of social commitments, lots of work, you know, work's getting in the way because you have tons of due dates um, there, then instead of trying to plan, you know, these 30, 45 minute meals that it's going to take you to cook or even new recipes, while I love new recipes and it can keep you engaged, it's that mental effort of even having to be like, okay, I need to pull up this recipe, I need to follow directions. Just having that so that you can quickly have something that you throw together without thinking that's going to be more automatic, that's going to be more successful for you. So really looking at those obstacles and finding and problem solving to find ways around them. I think that's a key point. Like you want to oversell the negative a little bit even because the more you're like really embracing that there are going to be hard points, the easier it is when you actually encounter them. I also like to say, own your lazy. I know I'm lazy when it comes to meal prep. So I'm like, how can I work around this to have good tasting meals, but own that I'm lazy? I love that. I, th I, I really think that is such a key thing. It's because we do, we all have something that we're like, yeah, this is a struggle of, of mine. This is where I'm willing to spend time where I'm not willing to spend time. So what is, what is it going to be that I can do what I need to do, but kind of in the minimum fashion? That's very true. <laughs> And then in terms, I was gonna say, in terms of like, you know, you're, you're owning the, the struggles that you're going to, to do, how can you get yourself to actually like take that first step? So a big thing that I find is people tend to like to just rip off the Band-Aid. And when I say that, I really mean start early, do what you can do first thing in the morning. A lot of times with our new goals, we're able to oftentimes complete them early in the day. And you kind of get that motivation of checking something right off your list at the beginning. 
but it also is even if you have something that you're that you're focusing on to improve later on the day, do something first thing in the morning that's going to set you up for success. If you, I'm going back to the kitchen because you know I'm a dietitian, so I tend to focus on food, but if your focus is to try and make sure you're getting not just that protein, but that veggies on the side, meal prep the veggies or meal prep that protein first thing in the morning. So when you come home and you're tired and exhausted, it's just a simple throw it in, you're done, adding it, mixing it in. That's all you have to do. It's like prioritizing what you want to implement because you're freshest for it. You have more self-control in the self-controlled gas tank. Like we do it with workouts, right? The skill you want to work on, the lift you want to work on, you put it first, you're freshest for it. You have the most attention, the wherewithal to do it. Like for me, if I want to change doing dishes so that I don't actually not do them at the end of the night when I'm really tired, I could do them first thing in the morning. Yes. Yeah. And that's really, that's really how it is, is I think when we put things first, Again, you're just that mental fatigue that we all tend to get by the end of the day has not hit you yet. So you're really able to get the most out of it first thing in the morning. And then the last thing that I really want people to kind of focus on whenever it comes to behavior modification, and I really think this is the true key to success, is find that trigger that you're already doing that is a habit in your daily routine that you can connect with your new habit. So whatever it's going to be, a big example I have is a lot of people will come and be like, yeah, I want to drink more water. I don't drink enough water. Great. Saying that is one thing that you need to have that specific goal. And what are what is it actually going to take for you to reach that at the end of the day? So connecting it with, okay, I'm going to wake up first thing in the morning and I'm going to drink a glass of water. So I'm going to prepare by having a glass of water on my nightstand. So when I wake up, it's there and it's an automatic and then tying it even with K I, I eat my meals and I'm just going to make sure I add a glass of water next to each of my meals. Or if you're on meetings, having that water bottle with you, which I know, and this is kind of an easy tip. I know we, you're always told carry that water bottle with you. It's going to help you drink. Is it because like I've carried a water bottle with me like my entire life and that has never actually helped me drink more. It's more when I've been like, okay, when I'm on a meeting, I'm going to hold my water cup and actually try and sip water throughout that meeting. Or it's going to be okay, I'm going out out for a walk at lunch and I'm going to take my water bottle and drink my water on that I have to have very specific moments that I'm thinking about to tie with that goal. I like that idea of the trigger, right? To do the behavior. Because if you think about some of the negative behaviors we do, like overeating or reaching for something we know we shouldn't or didn't plan in, right? You know, but it's in the cupboard. That's like a trigger. It's in the cupboard. It's seen. You have that feeling. So you grab it. So it's like having that water cup that you're holding as you're, you're talking. If you're like, I'm going to do this when I'm listening, it's that trigger because it's right there. There's some conscious reminder to do it. Yeah. And that, that really is, I think the key is finding that cautious, that conscious reminder that's going to actually help you remember, sorry, I'm stumbling. That's going to help you actually hit that and make it easier for you to go throughout your day. And I, a big thing is, and I know I said it several times throughout this is that mental effort. We don't want to make it hard. So if you are going to find simple ways that are going to have and going to trigger or remind you that's going to be where your success really is. 
I think it's remembering that we're trying to make this as easy as possible for ourselves and we're trying to build off of habits we already have in place. But what is ultimately sustainable doesn't mean it feels sustainable in the moment. It's going to feel like you have to consciously think about it because it's not what you've always done. And that's not a bad thing. It's why we look back at so many habits we end up doing and say, why didn't I start this sooner, right? Yes, yeah. It really is um, going back and like you said, it is going to be hard at first because you are doing the unfamiliar, but it is eventually going to be kind of automatic because you have implemented it so well within your daily routine. So if someone's really looking to make changes, they've got to address those underlying behaviors. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Michelle. That was awesome. I want to talk about macro hacks and swaps and portion size changes that can really add up if you are trying to hit specific macro ratios. So often when we get that ratio, we think, oh my goodness, I need to change everything. But really small swaps add up. And I actually think it's interesting how little we truly know about the breakdown of our food until we start tracking. And I was guilty of this. Like I didn't know it was in anything. Like what was a carb? What was a protein? What was a fat, right? It can be deceptive even because we don't necessarily know the exact breakdown of foods and usually they have more than one macro in them. One of my favorite examples actually of learning macros and what was really in the foods is concerning an egg. So one of my advisors, she was started tracking when we did our eight week challenge and she was eating eggs. And she's like, oh my goodness, I don't realize how much fat is actually in these eggs. I think high protein, right? But there's six grams of protein and five grams of fat. She actually told her husband this and he was like, no, they're, they're protein. And he was amazed at how much fat was actually in them. And in this case, she could do a really easy macro swap or hack by adding in some egg whites instead of just using only eggs in her omelet. And she could bump her protein that way and lower her fat. But a lot of times you're not really fully aware of what's in the foods we eat and how much deviation or variation there really is in single ingredients. Things like, you know, just even a Greek yogurt can be very, very different. This one has 12 grams of protein, this one has 15, and this one has 25. And those are very different breakdowns that you can actually use to your advantage. Maybe you want, you know, a vanilla yogurt and you only need to hit 12 grams of protein. Maybe take this one. Maybe this day you have a little bit more protein left over, so you use this one. They have different flavors. You can make them really work for you and what you need that day. But even having the options in your fridge can be really helpful. Not to mention you might make a parfait with one one time with a macro ratio and another time use a different thing, right? Because they're going to have different, you know, protein contents, but fat contents and even carb contents, whether you go low fat or high fat Greek yogurt or full fat, right? But having that options and knowing that's available can be really key when you are trying to adjust your macros so that you can use some of the same recipes you love. I loved Mexican lasagna growing up, but I found that it wasn't quite hitting my macros when I was trying to make it. So I thought at first I had to just cut it out. But then I realized it could change the, the fat content of the meat I'm using, go for a little bit leaner cut of meat. I could also vary the type of you know tortillas I was using going for a lower carb tortilla. Like even right here, I have pitas that are different than the, the 
bagel thins, which are different than regular bagels, and the lower carb tortillas that I can use. I have all these options at my hand and at my fingertips so that I can easily swap or make adjustments to the re recipes I already enjoy and love. Even things like peanut butter. You know, maybe this doesn't replace the PB Fit, doesn't replace the spread on certain things. I'm certainly that way. If I want peanut butter, I want peanut butter. However, in a smoothie, I can cut back on fat, reduce the calories in it by using the PV Fit and still get that same flavor. So it's also about knowing what allows you to still enjoy the foods, but also allows you to hit your macros and knowing some things that aren't worth the sacrifice. Even simple things like a whipped whipped cream or, or sorry, whipped, uh, <laughs> a whipped cream cheese versus a fat-free cream cheese. This only has 20 more calories in the whipped form than it does just the fat-free in the regular form. However, if I was to get the regular form of this, it would have potentially more density because the whip makes it fluffier and it gives you that surface area, right? So there's different ways to make variations in the meals that you love that allow you to still enjoy the foods. Same thing goes for oatmeal. Here's a 100 calorie pack, and this one is a little bit more calories, it's 190, but it's potentially gonna bump your protein a little bit more. So there's lots of little ways or little hacks you can do or little swaps you can do so that you can actually reach your macro goals while still enjoying the foods you love. And I keep going back to, to that, enjoying the foods you love. Because if we don't enjoy things, we're not gonna consistently do them. We're gonna end up falling off our diet. We need to make sure that we're actually able to live a sustainable lifestyle. So thinking in terms of swaps is so key because you're not gonna stay consistent with bland and boring food. So consider the recipes you love and what little tweaks you could make doing some of these things, looking at the nutrition label of foods and even comparing different, just different brands because they can vary to see what you can do to, to, to keep replicating some of the things you love in your lifestyle, but in a way that actually works to move forward towards your goals. Just remember, it's a learning process, and sometimes you have to look at each and every ingredient you're logging, even with your current lifestyle, to really understand the breakdowns of your foods. But give yourself time and focus on little swaps that will add up. If you've ever complained of wrist pain during planks or push-ups, I'm gonna show you some ways to modify. If you are listening to this, check out the video to see the examples. So, Often we think our wrists are weak and that's why we have wrist pain, but it can actually be a lack of wrist extension that's causing the overload and issues. So I wanna show you some ways to modify the basic push-up or plank position for your wrist to really help out. A simple fix is actually to take a towel or a yoga mat and you can fold it over so it creates a little bit of a, a cushion for the back of your, the heel of your palm. By placing the heel of your palm on that, it reduces the amount of extension demanded from your wrist. And then you wanna make sure to spread your fingers. That will actually help you create a better base of support so you're not overusing any aspect and you won't feel it necessarily in the outside of your wrist. So that little incline can really help because it doesn't demand as much extension of your wrist back like that. So it keeps it a little bit less. You can also do more of a neutral wrist position off of dumbbells as well. While more traditional setup, this neutral wrist position where your wrists are able to be aligned can really, really help if you do struggle with that wrist extension. And then from here, if you are doing push-ups and you need to modify, that's where the incline can come in extra handy because you can put your hands back on the edge of the incline, which does reduce the amount of extension demanded when you do your pressing, okay? Just make sure your bench is very stable and does not move on you. But that incline can help not only modify the push-up, but also reduce the wrist extension demands. 
But those are some quick, fast fixes to help you if you do have wrist pain during planks or push-ups. Too often, we just label moves as bad. We demonize exercise as causing specific aches and pains when we need to learn to control that movement pattern, especially because we actually do it more than we even realize in everyday life. One of these moves is the squat. It's often blamed for knee pain and people demonize doing deep squats. However, you have to sit down in the toilet, you're gonna get in and out of a car, you squat so often in everyday life, you need to learn to control that movement. And the gym is the perfect place to do that. That's why I wanna go over some variations of the squat to actually help you get more out of this move and make it fit your needs and goals. If you are listening, check out the video on YouTube to really see all the different demos of the movements. But you can also experiment with your own variations. But basically, when we demonize a move, it's often because we're not able to control the movement pattern and it doesn't fit our needs and goals right now. Yes, if we have specific knee aches and pains, we might have to reduce active knee flexion. We might have to control the range of motion, especially as we build up. We might also have to address other little mobility restrictions that we don't even know are leading to the actual pain. So say you, you want to include squats, right? But you can't do active knee flexion. Maybe you do a squat hold right now. Maybe you do a wall sit, right? If you do need to control the range of motion, maybe you try one or two a bench or a higher box even than that, just to start, because that allows you to work through the range of motion you can control and so that you can actually build up. A lot of times when we have aches and pains, we're doing just a variation that doesn't match where we're at currently. Maybe you have a lack of ankle mobility, okay? And so that's why squatting deep is actually hard for you. So you use like a slant board. Or maybe you wanna get more out of your squats and make them even more quad intensive because you're really focused on building those quads. That slant board or that like heel lift can actually help you focus on your quads more. Maybe you wanna activate your glutes or you really struggle with a weight shift and you shift to one side. Taking a mini band and placing it right even above your knees as you squat can help activate the glute medius, which can help improve your hip stability if you've had hip pain, which can also help improve your knee health because you're activating your glute medius over even potentially letting your TFL compensate. You can even then change the range of motion and do a little pulse squats right here, which can help you really work those glutes more if you don't wanna target your quads as much. But there are so many variations you can really include to match your needs and goals. And if you're even say having an imbalance or aches and pains on one side and you wanna to start to correct them, maybe do a single leg squat to bench, a single leg squat with a suspension trainer, maybe a full pistol squat, or maybe even change up how you load movements, holding weights up at your shoulders, right? To load it down or using a barbell on your back or potentially even using a unilateral load. All of these things are ways to modify movements to fit our needs and goals, making them more core intensive, more challenging, less challenging, but meeting ourselves where we're at. That's how we're gonna get the most out of any exercise and really make sure that we're focused on getting the right muscles working. Play this game yourself even. Think about all the different ways you can take that basic squat and really match your needs and goals. If you usually train with weights and you're now training at home or you're traveling and you can't progress the move in the way you usually would, try an 80-20 variation. Try not to have the sandbag behind you so that you end up hitting it. But try an 80-20 variation where you're shifting more weight onto one leg if you don't have a place to even do a pistol squat, right? That's a way to progress the movement without having loads. But change up tempos, be creative with it. Even play a little game right now where you write down all the different options so that you know what you can do to really get the most out of your workouts no matter where you're at.
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the FinTax Podcast. I'd love to hear your biggest takeaway from the episode, and I'd love to also have you share your favorite squat variation. Comment on wherever you're watching this, and I hope you guys enjoyed the show.